We, we welcome Milton and Julia, and we just feel so blessed by them. And so for you, I would ask, uh, what Milton and, and Julia have said is that this is a place that they feel that this is where their family is. This is a place that they can call home. And this is a place that they choose to invest. So if you feel the same way about Christian Layman Church, I would also ask that you would consider, if you're not a member, if this is a place that you would like to officially call home as well. So um, at this time, we'd like to ask Kevin to, uh, to extend to Milton and to uh, Julia a few questions for us, and then you can welcome them to our family. Okay, welcome Milton and Julia. I'd like to ask you a few questions. You've already gone through this already. This is our membership covenant, and I will go through the list, and you can confirm or deny, as you, um, and then we will receive you as members. Okay, so first, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes. Have you committed yourself to live in, a loving, in loving obedience to him? Yes. Yes. Have you expressed your faith through baptism? Yes. Yes. Are you in agreement with Christian Layman Church's mission statement, statement of faith, and membership covenant? Yes. Yes. Will you support this church family and its leadership through encouragement and prayer, and will you be involved in consistent basis attending weekly worship services whenever possible and participating in other aspects of church life? Yes. Yes. Will you advance this church's ministry through your financial offerings and intercessory prayer? Yes. Yes. And finally, do you desire to serve the Lord in ministry, discovering and using your spiritual gifts to build the, up the body of Christ and to glorify God in the world? Definitely, yes. Yes. Great. Well, the... Uh, the board of directors have received your request, uh, and we have unanimously approved uh, membership for you. And so at this time, I'd like to present you with our membership certificates. Oh, this is for Julia and for Milton. And Mil Milton and Julia, at this time, I would like to welcome you to our church membership family here at church, Christian Layman Church. Well, good morning again. It's been a full morning, and there's still more to come. I'm glad to see Milton and Julia become members this morning. And I had the great opportunity to, you know, orient them to the church in our membership class and get to know them better there. Later, I'm actually going to have uh, Milton come back, and uh, I'm going to have him share his story about his life and how he came to Christ. And it's a great story and one that kind of fits our, our message today. Well, as you have probably heard and know, we're in the middle of a series called Tell Your Story. So maybe this is a good time to check on how you're doing in practicing and telling your story. Because we've had this little exercise where we're challenging you all to, you know, prepare 
what you would have to share if someone asked you, how did you come to know Christ? And we've been uh, stressing that you would be concise and you would be concrete and you would be compelling in your stories and then try to do it in about 90 seconds. So if you can do it in 90 seconds, then you won't be uh, wasting someone's time, but also you can come straight to the point. And if they're curious and if it piques their interest, they would ask more questions. So I hope you're working on that. A lot of our home groups are trying that as an exercise and as a good way to be able to share your story. Last week, many of us were at a retreat up in the Santa Cruz Mountain. And the theme for our retreat was missional living, serving God in an unfriendly world. And it was a time where Pastor Les Yi, who was our main session speaker, he was telling us about how we should know our identities, to know who we are. And then he said we should then discover what our calling is, what our purpose in life is, and how we are to serve God. And then also to realize what kind of context we are in. So what kind of neighborhoods we live in, what is our workplace, how our families are. All those determine our context. Well, one of the contexts that we can tell our stories in is our families. And a couple of weeks ago, it was Mother's Day, and we heard the wonderful stories from Sharon Chin and from Raina Huang and from Pastor Andrew himself about how their mothers made a great impact in their own faith journeys. And so that was a time where we learned how important it is to tell our stories within our own families so as we raise our children, that they can also learn the legacies of faith that we are uh, immersed in. Well, this week, we're going to look at another context, and that context is the workplace or the marketplace. And if you have your Bibles, or as Pastor Les was something that reminded me, if you pull out your tablets, you can open to Luke 5, verse 27 to verse 32. And I'm going to read it out loud to you, starting with verse 27. And it's a story about the calling of Levi. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that is the word of the Lord. This story here about Levi is kind of part of a trilogy. If you look, it's, it's found in Luke and it's also found in Mark. So anything that's repeated in the Bible means it's probably something to note, something that's pretty important. It's in a series of three kinds of healings. There was the leper who was healed by Jesus. And then there was the um, paralytic who was brought by his friends to Jesus to be healed. They all, both of those gentlemen had physical he- uh, healings, but they also had a spiritual healing too. And then this third story of Levi comes on the tail end of those other two stories is also of a healing. But it's not of a physical healing. Levi was not healed physically by Jesus, but he had probably just as important a healing or restoration of relationship. And from this encounter that, that Levi had with Jesus, we learn one thing, that Jesus goes to the marketplace. That as Jesus goes to the marketplace, 
we should also go to our marketplaces and our workplaces to tell our story. In verse 27, it says, After Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, who was sitting at his tax booth. So in that verse, we see that Jesus went to Levi's workplace, his tax booth. And here we see that Jesus was a marketplace evangelist. He chose his disciples from the marketplace. He did many of his healings and miracles in the marketplace. He demonstrated how the kingdom of God worked in the marketplace. Last week when we were at our retreat, Pastor Leslie said something that, that was memorable for me. He said, we serve a sent God. Mission is part of his nature. Again, we serve a sent God. Mission is part of his nature. So if we who call ourselves follower of Jesus Christ, then we should also emulate Jesus. If Jesus went to the workplace, then we should also be not afraid to go to our workplaces and be representative of Jesus Christ. And it makes sense, right? In many of our lives, many of us here, we spend a lot of time at work, right? So if the typical standard 40-hour a week is how much you spend at work, that's a lot of time. And in these times, in these days, many of you are actually working more than 40 hours. Some are 50, 60, and I hear in some professions it's almost 80 hours a week at work. That's a lot of time. And if you're there doing work, but you're also there, as I remind you, as representatives of Jesus Christ. But one thing that we unfortunately do when we're at work, we kind of compartmentalize our lives. That I hear stories, and actually heard some stories from our retreat, of people sharing that a lot of times they kind of hide that they're Christians at work. That they don't tell anyone. And, and, and as closet Christians, they actually don't know that there's actually other Christians at work. And only when one kind of maybe uh, one person slips out that, oh, I went to church this past week, and then you know, and another member of, of your work team goes, oh, so do I. And it's only then that you all come out of your closets and express that you are Christians. And often that's not something that we volunteer information out because there's a certain fear or anxiety that in an unfriendly world, being a Christian is not always uh, a great thing to have other people know. But I emphasize here that Jesus is a sent God and that if we are to be just like Jesus, then we should also realize that we have been sent by God into places like our workplaces. It makes sense then to seek opportunities to do God's work at our, at our businesses and, and, and our workplaces. But I do want to make this uh, known to be mindful of the work rules. And, you know, we don't want to be uh, making uh, disruptive discussions or, you know, putting Christian signs all over our desk or something like that. And we, we do have to be respectful of other, other folks. But there are times where we can express ourselves that are, are perfectly not on company time. And I know there are coffee breaks, there are times that you go out to lunch with your co-workers, and even after work, you know, go out to dinner or have a meal with, with uh, 
uh, co-workers and also go to, to bars and ha- have a drink. And those are ways that we can have opportunities to share about God in our lives and also to be able to, to find out if others are, are, are seeking God. And if we look for those opportunities in those ways, we can then be useful uh, for God in, in, in that, that way. I know there are times when, whenever I go to certain businesses that I, I, I uh, uh, patronize, like whether it's the bank, you talk to the teller and they always ask a question, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And, and a lot of times you, it's an opportunity to say, oh, on, on this particular Saturday, I'm going to be helping to serve a street meal uh, for those who are uh, less resourced. It's an opportunity to go, when we go on Tijuana's, a lot of times to, uh, you can share that, oh, I'm going to go build homes down in Tijuana for those who are less fortunate. So a lot of opportunities do come up where you can naturally uh, tell others about Jesus and about God in your life. One of the things that is, um, that's going to be important for any of us who wants to tell our stories and to be able to be on God's mission is that we have to be able to build trust with other people that we want to tell our stories to. And there are various ways that we can build trust. And from this passage, we see that, that Jesus built trust by living out his faith in action and word and then being able to tell his story about his life. That's something I, uh, I've heard from one of our campus ministers who, who shares this, that for Christians, our goal in life is to live out our, our faith in word and action and then later be able to tell stories about our life. And that's how we can build trust with others. And apparently Jesus did this with Levi. In verse 27 to 28, it says there, Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now, it's kind of significant to look at that. Jesus said, follow me. And then Levi got up immediately, left everything, and went to follow him. Now, here, how did Jesus build that kind of trust with Levi, which apparently here is like a first encounter, that Levi would just pick up everything uh, and and leave everything and, and, and go with Jesus? Well, there's two things that usually happens. There's either you build trust through relationship, right? And there's an old adage that people don't care what you know until they know you care. That's a, a common thing to, to remember, and, and it's helpful in trying to build relationships. That By caring with people, then they will be interested in what you know. One thing here at Christian Layman Church... Uh, when uh, Rick and Kevin were sharing and introducing membership, one of the values we have here at, at our church is that we feel that we're all part of a family. Is that everybody here, um, to the children, and apparently we're all uncles and aunties, right? I mean, that's kind of a part of our culture, and it's something we pa- brought into our, our spiritual family too, that a lot of us are uncles and aunties. And it, and it defines and it emphasizes relationship as being a very high value. But there's also something I call kind of a downside to that kind of uh, perspective. That if it's left unbalanced, we lose something. And it's what I call honor and respect for power and authority. And, and, and when we do that, it, it, 
it kind of clouds another important aspect of, of how we can build trust with people. And, and when I bring up that word power, right, power and authority, it tends to have this kind of negative uh, perception. A lot of us are kind of adverse to the word power. Power has, has a bad rap. Um, power is not evil. Power in itself it can be a tool. And it's something I, I heard from uh, InterVarsity uh, worker named James Chong, who, who said that God gives many of us power, power and authority. And, and God has control over the folks that he gives power and authority. And it's important that we steward uh, responsibly power and authority that he gives to us. And if we leverage it for the good of the kingdom, it is a good way of using power. And what do I mean by, by power? Well, um, power comes in, in, in title, in position, in, in uh, expertise. It gives credibility to a person. Uh, I, I want to share a story that a lot of times when we, we, we lose the context of the importance of power and authority and, and expertise is, is with my uh, a story that came in my family with my daughter. And, you know, our kids often look at uh, mom and dad as just, oh, they're just mom and dad, right? They're nothing special. I see them every day. They, they cook, clean, uh, drive me to school, all that kind of stuff. Typical parental duties. But oftentimes our kids forget our other parts of our lives, the other hats that we wear. And, uh, you know, this summer we're going to have an eye screening. And it's a great time to serve. And I'm, you're going to hear more about it as we start ramping up for that in the weeks to come. But one of the eye screenings, my daughter had a chance to volunteer and serve. Uh, she was in college at this particular time. And, and my wife, Terry, if you all know, she's, she's an optometrist. So she, she was serving at our eye screening. And there was kind of a moment of enlightenment for my daughter when at the end of the day, the, the docs all gathered the optometry students who are also volunteering, and they kind of debrief uh, the things that they saw. And so Terry was there essentially in a mentoring role, teaching the, the, the op students some of the difficult cases that they were seeing. And then at that moment, my daughter, seeing my, my wife, her mom, uh, teaching other students in a different kind of role. And she realized, wow, mom it has some credibility, has some expertise. Mom's a doctor. <laughs> so um, what I'm trying to get here is that a lot of times we forget that aspect in ourselves, and we have to remember that God gives you these uh, positions of power and authority for a purpose. Because power and authority, when used properly, especially in a uh, fast-paced culture that we live in now gives you instant access to certain people. It's called respect. John Orberg says that, that today respect is the leading edge of gaining attention from others. It's kind of interesting because, because in a day where it's a, a digital age, a lot of us are Facebook friends or Twitter or whatever. And through electronics, everybody feels like they know everybody. We're all friends. We're all relationally connected somehow. 
And then in a digital age, you can go on YouTube, you go online, and, and, um, and even on Facebook, you see uh, experts. You know, you can go to church online and hear different speakers. And so people don't have any relationship with these folks, but they can get expertise just going on the Internet. So respect comes from credibility, status, position, title, giftedness, talent, being resource-rich, whatever. And people at the workplace will listen to you if you have credibility. And it's sometimes more important than relationship. And so going back to Levi, do you think Levi dropped what he was doing and followed Jesus just on relationship? Not likely. Because he really, there is no uh, recordings that, that Levi personally interacted with Jesus before this. But Jesus came up to him and said, come, follow me. And he got up and left everything and followed Jesus. Levi probably obeyed immediately because it was totally out of respect. That likely, as Jesus was teaching to the crowds, Levi was listening to what Jesus was teaching, which was credible. It was wise. It made sense. And so, to Levi, Jesus was someone to be respected. He probably maybe was there in the crowd, and he saw some of the healings, and he actually saw, wow, Jesus has something that I would like. And so it was out of Jesus' expertise, out of his power and authority, out of respect for him, more than relationship, that Levi got up and, and um, followed Jesus walked the talk, and Jesus had Levi's respect. So when Jesus called him to follow, Levi immediately went with him. Now, how many of you have seen Linsanity? Okay, movie, Linsanity. It's a movie based on the life of a local kid down on the peninsula down in Palo Alto, uh, Jeremy Lin. Actually, some folks in our church grew up with him, played ball against him and with him. And uh, Jeremy Lin has, uh, has a lot of credibility. He has a lot of respect in the workplace, and he happens to work in the NBA. Um, but it was out of living his faith, he has now a platform because of his credibility to tell his story. And so Insanity is a movie, which is a vehicle, which he can tell others about Jesus Christ and about God. Back in uh, 2012, Jeremy was uh, pretty close to being kicked out of or essentially cut from the NBA. Uh, he wasn't playing very much. The coaches weren't using him. Uh, he was uh, being sent down to developmental league, up and down. So his confidence was kind of shot. And he had probably very little time unless something changed. But in 2012, about February, Jeremy Lin had an amazing run of five to six games where he did something historically not, never ever done in the NBA. And from that platform, he was able to tell his story uh, about God and God in his life. I'm going to show a video clip because as they were li li going through that, um, they had a big game against the Lakers. 
And Kobe Bryant, who's a star player of the Lakers, was asked about Jeremy Lin. And, and apparently, Kobe kind of said, Jeremy Lin who? And, and so here, we'll see how Jeremy reacts to that and how, in one way, he's able to demonstrate he's different from others in the world because of his faith. Difficult shot <laughs> for some. Yeah. Kobe Bryant again. He's starting to get in one of those zones right now. Gasol is on Lynn. Puts up the two-pointer. Puts it out. Jeremy Lynn with 31. And a rebound by Jeffries. favorite play of this whole year was when I hit that three in the corner just because that game had so much hype and that shot was kind of the dagger that put the game out of reach for them. Already caught twice this season sleeping on a teammate's couch because he had nowhere else to go and suddenly Jeremy Lin is the toast of Manhattan. This is it right here. This is my dream and uh, I'm just thankful to, to God man because this is, this is my dream being lived out, and I'm so thankful for that. Jeremy Lin, 38 points, is the most by Nick this season. Lin's sanity continues here at Madison Square Garden. It's indescribable, really. It's something I've never seen before. I didn't foresee this coming. You know, it's unbelievable. This is, like, how weird I am. I was like, I'm going to go off this game, and at the end of the interview, they're going to be like, oh, so do you think Kobe knows who you are now? Jeremy, you knew somebody was going to ask you this, but uh, do you think Kobe knows who you are now? If they ask me that question, I'm going to be like, who the hell is Kobe? That's what I was going to say. And then I like thought about it, and I was like, I prayed about it. I was like, you know, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, Jesus probably wouldn't say that. So I was like, I'm going to change my answer. Uh, you, well, you guys had to ask Kobe. I don't know. For every guy here, Jeremy Lin's probably living uh, outer dreams. <laughs> there, Jeremy Lin has demonstrated his, uh, in his workplace, a li- living out his faith and then being able to tell his story later. And if, if respect is the leading edge of gaining attention of others today, Jeremy Lin is leveraging the attention he's getting, the respect that he's getting to be able to tell his story, tell his God stories. And how does that apply to us? Well, you know, some of us here are doctors, including myself. Some of us here are doctors of jurisprudence. Some of you run companies. Some of you have expertise in baking cakes. Some of you know the inside and outs of, of how to repair a car. All this stuff gives you credibility. All this gives you expertise. And in a workplace... That's important. So that means be the best workers you can be. Be diligent. Be fruitful at your work. Be productive. That gains respect. And if you have other people's respect, then you can tell your story and they'll listen. Because if you're not respectful, they're not going to hear your story. And actually, that would be kind of disgraceful to God. So be the best you can. 
It doesn't mean perfection. That's not what I'm saying. It's just do the best with what you've been given, and that will gain respect. And because in this day and age, apparently, it's more than just relationship, but it's also respect that will gain the attention of others. And especially if we've been called by God to be his storytellers, that's something we'll need to get. And if you have respect that gives you influence into other people's lives, and that influence is only effective or useful if you have time to spend with your coworkers or with other people. That influence can only be effective if you hang out with coworkers. And like Jesus did with Levi, Jesus hung out with Levi's co-workers who were tax collectors and sinners. And we see this in verse 29 to 32. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you have to realize here that, remember I said that Levi didn't receive any physical healing. He didn't need that. He needed relational healing. He needed community healing. Levi, being a tax collector, because of what he did, his profession of choice, he's an outcast. He's a reject. He's considered a traitor by his own people because he's working for the Roman government and, and, and taking taxes taxes from them. And as tax collectors, they were considered sinners. They were lumped with burglars, murderers, robbers, and prostitutes. And and religious people, the so-called religious people of the time, shunned them, turned their backs on them, would not receive them at the temple. And so Levi had a negative attitude, attitude towards religion. He was cynical. He was actually very critical of the religious people. He saw the hypocrisy that the, the teachers of the law were living and the legalism, and he said, that's not for me. And then the religious people would, would want Levi to change. They would want to make him uh, a different person so that he would fit into their world. And Levi was kind of fed up with that. He said, no, nah, that's not for me. But what was cool here is that Jesus went to Levi, and all he said was, come follow me. He accepted him as, as he is. Didn't ask him to change. He just said, come follow me. And that was such a mind-blowing thing to Levi that was different from the religion that was part of his culture. That here, Jesus said to him, come follow me as you are. And, G- and that to Levi was so affirming and accepting that he gave up everything and went to follow Jesus. And this... You know, the, if you check, there's all kinds of stories of healing. And I told you this is part of a trilogy. Whoever Jesus heals, he doesn't necessarily call them into discipleship. That's something to note. When he healed the paralytic, when he healed the leper, he healed them. And he said, go. Actually, to the, the leper, he said, don't go tell anyone. To the paralytic, he, he said, yeah, you can go share with other people. But he didn't call them to follow him. But here, Levi, the tax collector, the sinner, by everybody else's um, perception, Jesus says, you can come follow me.
Jesus reached out to Levi. He did not shun him, but went to him personally. Jesus accepted him as he was, warts and all. Jesus didn't ask him to fit in and thought Levi was worthy enough to be part of his faith movement, that Levi could belong. And Levi was so excited about his new faith, about uh, his new um, leader in Jesus, that he threw a big party for all his friends to meet Jesus. And Jesus not only accepted Levi, but he also had dinner, which is the most intimate fellowship, most intimate act that a person could do is to eat with, with others. And he ate with Levi's community, who were made up of tax collectors and sinners. And isn't it true, I mean, if we look in our own lives, that oftentimes as uh, we unfortunately become more Christian, we actually become more uncomfortable with those who are different from us, those who are not in the faith. A lot of times as we so-called become more sanctified, we become a little uncomfortable with the things that are not so sanctified, with people who have different values and with beliefs that are different from us. But if we are to be faithful to the calling of being missional people, we're going to have to get rid of this aversion to hanging out with those who are different from us. Remember, God is a sent God. He is missional, so we could be missional, to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We must be in the world, but not of the world. I'm going to share a story in my own life, and uh, I was wrestling whether to tell the story. Because a lot of times, just as Jesus was in the story of Levi, right, the religious people were pretty critical about him hanging out with sinners. Right? You can be easily misunderstood. But Jesus had no problems with that. He was confident in what he was supposed to do. So he hung out with Levi, the tax collectors, and other, other sinners. And, and so, uh, as a pastor, as one of your leaders, uh, I, I said, it's worth sharing. And if I'm mis, misunderstood, so be it. But when I was a uh, a young Christian, uh, new, newly in the faith. Uh, I was being mentored and developed as a leader in this particular church. Uh, I, I had an incident where my two worlds were starting to, to, to blend in, as it should. And I was sharing my faith with some of my friends that I, I ran with, who I've known since uh, um, middle school, or even before. And these are guys that, that I know that are, well, I mean, we're tight. We did everything together. Some good things, some bad things. And um, a lot of things we do, we celebrate life together. And, and many of us were getting married. And one of the passages of, of singlehood is the bachelor party, right? And so uh, when uh, one of my buddies was getting married, we, we had his, his bachelor party, and it was... It was a dinner at a restaurant, so I figured, oh, this is going to be safe. Um, but I, I was surprised because at the party, or at the dinner, uh, some of the guys uh, uh, hired a stripper. And so there was a, a defining moment for me there. Is that I'm thinking, I am a leader of my church. I am, what am I supposed to do? And uh, I could get up and leave, 
But then, in one sense, I would be kind of disrespectful to my buddies. And, and, and I, I had to show a certain amount of loyalty. And uh, so there was a little bit of discomfort, but I knew God wanted me to be there. Because if I stepped out there, I was breaking the trust and, and relationship with guys that I, I ran with. And I knew that if I did that, I would not be able to have the respect anymore. And so it was pretty innocuous, at least for what was happening, um, fortunately. And, uh, but I, I did the right thing because in that way, I still could maintain relationship with my friends because years later, I, I could still, uh, and I, I have, spoke, spoken into their marriages and into their parenting and, and given them wise counsel. But to the, to the world, to probably other people, if I shared that story to even the leaders of this church, which I never did, uh, <laughs> I could be misunderstood. But I've also been criticized, too, in, in recent times. Uh, one of our, uh, our leaders, unfortunately, his marriage broke up. He, he divorced. And, but I still maintain friendship with him. I still do business with him. And, and part of my thing is calling is that I tend to want to be with people others will reject. Because there's enough people rejecting other people. And people who are rejected know that. What they need is friendship. People who will stand by them even when they're broken. And so I know I got criticized. And and I know people are not happy that I maintain relationship with this person. But I think it's critical because I have times when I meet with him, I can talk, talk to him. And if I can give him counsel, he can still trust me. Because I did not abandon him when everybody else abandoned him. We're all sinners. We're all broken. And here, Jesus demonstrated that he is above the criticism of everybody else. And he will hang out with sinners. And there's dirtiness in the world. But if we are aver- have aversion to that and not hanging out with that, we will have no place of ministering to other people. When we have a relationship and respect, we can then have influence in other people's lives. And those are the times when we should look for opportunities to do that. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. And oftentimes, when we can reach out to one individual like that, then it opens doors for us to be able to reach out others in their circle. And I had that great opportunity when... Um, one of my patients asked me to be their officiant at their memorial service. I mean, the funeral director was kind of shocked. He said, your dentist is going to officiate your... your, your and this is actually uh, after she passed away, and it surprised me. But it was a great opportunity where I could share the gospel to people who were totally different than me. She, she's one Caucasian. They were kind of cowboy, blue-collar, and... Here's this Asian guy standing in front of them um, celebrating her life among her friends and family. I don't know, maybe she was playing a joke on them. But (laughs) it was great fun. And it was a great opportunity, again, to reach others in the name of Jesus Christ and maybe in an unusual package. But I definitely did get their attention. And maybe that was the intent of my patient when she had me, um, trusted me. I had the credibility with her that, that I could... Uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ to her family and friends. And that's our goal, right? For us to 
pray for opportunities to be able to live our faith, to be able to tell our stories. That's our whole series. And, and, and I mentioned right now, I'd like to have Milton come up, and, and I want him to share his story because it's a story of transformation. And he himself, um, through that transformation, is living out his faith. And if you didn't know his story, you wouldn't know how God has changed him in an amazing way. So, Milton, come on up. Why don't you welcome him? Well, Milton, thank you for um, being willing to be transparent. And, and I hope the, your story would be encouraging. And, and as I, I want to lead off, it's kind of structured in a way that we want to do our 90-second um, storytelling. Obviously, he's not going to have 90 seconds. He'll have a little bit more time than that. But the first thing in your 90-second preparation is to, to tell us a little bit about how you, are, how you were before you met Jesus. And so, Milton, how were you? How was your life before meeting Jesus? Well, hello. Okay. Um, my life uh, before uh, uh, was like kind of like a roller coaster ride, uh, kind of like a stock market. It went up and down. And uh, let me give you a little history about myself. Uh, 1985, I got married. I got a job as a, as a deputy sheriff of San Francisco. 1988, my son was born. 1992, my daughter was born. My life seemed pretty settled uh, with, you know, with families and a good job. And yet, I started drinking and using drugs on the weekends. I was kind of like a, a weekend warrior type. And uh, later, I became addicted to the drugs and alcohol. And my uh, family started falling apart because of my addiction in 1997. Uh, it results, I ended up uh, losing my job. Uh, I got a divorce. Um, my wife... My ex-wife actually moved out of the house. My life actually hit rock bottom. Uh, my wife took my kids, um, and I just couldn't get out of the addiction. I couldn't find a way out. And I felt that I had no hope, no reason to live. And uh, I was in complete darkness. So uh, I actually tried to commit suicide twice. And... Uh, I was very disappointed that I was still alive after two attempts. I uh, eventually um, went to a rehab center for about a month, an inpatient program. Um, and I, uh, uh, I still couldn't stop uh, using the drugs and alcohol, spent all my money, and I had, uh, you know, the debt because of my addiction, and I also beat my body. Um, there was a time at the rehab center uh, to meet my dad, um, and the counselor asked my father to say three, three, three words, and three words was, I love you. And uh, it took my dad more than 30 minutes just and... I saw him struggling to say these words, and my heart was 
so broken. Uh, I know he was ashamed of me, and, and uh, I was like uh, a black sheep of the family. Uh, my family uh, really never accepted me. I was the first in my family to get a divorce, and it seemed that I didn't belong anywhere. That, that was your past, and then how, how did you come to meet Jesus to, to be able to transform and change your life? Well, um, at the rehab center, uh, they talk about the higher power is a 12-step program, and I chose uh, to have uh, God as to be my higher power. And at that time, I was not a Christian. And I said, well, where am I going to find God? And I thought, maybe at church. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to use God as my last hope to try to stay clean and sober. So I called uh, uh, one of my friends. Uh, his name is George. Uh, he was my second boys camp director. He's also like my father. And I knew he was a longtime Christian. He's been going to church regularly. And so I asked him to uh, bring me to church. And so his son, Billy, uh, actually took me to Sunset Ministry in San Francisco. And I, I sat in the back corner of the church, uh, you know, to listen to the service. And uh, I did it for one year. I dragged my kids along. Uh, didn't really say much just kind of sat there every week uh, for one year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just sat there for one year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then so now um, having uh, that experience, how did it lead you to accept Christ? And, and, and how has your life changed now? Well, after one year of, uh, of sitting at church, I, uh, I noticed that I was clean and sober. I wasn't using drugs or drinking. And, and it had to be a miracle. And it had to be God. Because I couldn't do it by myself. And so in 1999, I got baptized. And uh, shortly after I got baptized, um, I went on a, a, a three-day retreat. Like an all-church retreat. And I had a lot of fun. Got to know a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters away from the church environment. And um, at the retreat, there was a speaker. And he said, the more you get involved in church, like ushering, reading the Bible, tithing, uh, just service, the more you get, the more you get involved is the more you get. And so... I became active in the church, um, and it helped me get to know and serve God more. Uh, God gave me a second chance in life, and with God's grace and mercy, I'm still sober. I restore my relationship with my kids, Stephanie, I love you, and uh, it gave me uh, another job. I'm working for ATT now. And also, I met my wife at church, um, and we got married. And um, I'm not proud about my past. 
but I'm also not ashamed of it. But I am proud that I'm a child of God. Thank you. Well, thank you, Milton, for, for sharing that. And, and in many ways, you see Milton's story is reflective of Levi's story in, in, in the scripture that we were studying this morning, that oftentimes, whatever is rejected by our society, Jesus can redeem. So I hope that story is encouraging to you, and maybe that will encourage you to tell your story. Because during this series, that's what we want to hear is more and more of our stories in our own, in our own church body. So I hope um, uh, you're encouraged by that. Continue to live your faith and continue to be able to tell your stories because it will make a difference. And that is our mission in this life as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the most important story. And that is the story of your son, Jesus, who went to the cross on our behalf, to die for our sins that take on the, the so-called punishment and judgment that was deservedly ours. But through his death, and more importantly, his resurrection, that after three days, uh, he rose again, and having victory over death, that we may have eternal life if we believe. So we thank you for that gift, God, great gift that you give to us, and may we faithfully serve you in response with grateful hearts. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.